So I've asked them to see where to share something, and then I'm going to dive in. Amen. Um, last weekend, I think you said my phone, um, I was attending my cousin's 10-year wedding anniversary celebration and vow renewal in Path. And um, the preacher spoke about the power of agreement. Um, and he said, um, at times, just because he and his wife have agreed on a matter, God makes it happen without prayer, simply because as a team, they've agreed and heaven has heard them. And I really felt that um, that's a word for us as a congregation. I felt the Lord calling us not just to unity, but to a higher level of unity in heart and mind through agreement. There's a blessing in being united, Psalm 133, but there's power in agreement, Matthew 18, verses 18 to 19. I felt the Lord say to me, unity commands a blessing, yet agreement opens and moves the heavens. In the next season, I believe God is calling us to stand together united in agreement, to stand together in harmonious, symphonic agreement. I saw a picture of us as, as a people standing in unity with one another in the front line of the battle. While unity is what brought us together, agreement is what linked us together. As we stood in agreement with the mission plan to destroy the works of the enemy in our lives and advance God's kingdom, I saw us moving forward with arms linked together to build an impenetrable wall and advance against the works of the enemy and take ground for the kingdom. How do we do this practically? How do we move practically in the power of agreement? By standing in agreement in action and heart with our leaders and with one another, our church and our communities. Um, for example, what is the vision God has for the house and, and agreeing with what God is doing in the house and in each other's lives. Secondly, by being like those friends who broke the ceiling so their paralyzed friend could receive healing from Jesus, Mark 2, verses 1 to 5. The friends agreed and trusted with him for healing. And even if he couldn't uh, penetrate through the crowds to get to Jesus, they broke the ceiling for their friend. They went to that extent so he could see Jesus. It's us doing the same for our, for our church and our community. When Jesus, oh, sorry, it's standing together in agreement, so we see heaven breaking open over our lives, the lives of our friends and communities, and the lives and, and our church. That is the power of agreement. Amen. Good morning, everyone. That's not what I'm going to be preaching about this morning, but when I got that word during the week, it shifted so much in what I wanted to share. And it kind of became my intro, in a sense. And, and built into that, just when, when I heard that, that voice note, there were just so many scriptures that came to mind. In, in Amos 3, verse 3, where, where he says, If two do not agree to meet, how can they walk together? If we don't agree as a body to meet, how can we walk together? In Philippians 2, verse 2, Paul talks about us being of one mind, not just like getting along or kind of driving in the same carpool, but one mind. And in the scripture I wanted to put up on the screen, which is John 17, and this is Jesus, so it's kind of important. Um, but Jesus says, and in, in, I'm focusing on verse 21 and 23, and he's talking, this is Jesus, this is the, uh, uh, the ultimate prayer that he prays to God the Father before he goes to die on the cross. 
And he says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If you jump to 23, and, and just in that, that thing of like, that's ridiculous. Like always, Andrew always talks, Andrew Selly always talks about how outrageous that is, that God could say that we would do that. And then he follows on to say, in them, uh, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Perfectly one. That's more than unity. That's powerful. And what I was feeling is that the power of agreement is a spiritual weapon. It's not just a stance. It's, it's a weapon. And it's a force that we need to walk in. And uh, I felt God saying that agreement is a choice and it's a decision. It's like we say so many things in our Christian walk. We, agree, we choose to love. We choose to trust. Trust is not earned. We choose it. We choose to submit. We choose to forgive. And in this, we choose to agree. So this morning, I want to ask you to open your hearts to what God wants to share. Position yourself in agreement with the king and with his bride. Okay, so what I do want to, so the, the, if you're taking notes and you want a title, I know they want a title, so I'll give you a title. But my question this morning is, are you present or are you family? Are you just with us, amongst us, or are you a part of us? Are you family with us? And uh, there's been a lot said recently. Uh, two weeks ago, Luke shared, we were doing a whole series on hospitality, and Luke shared two weeks ago on open homes. And if you'll remember, he spoke about open homes, and he said, if we don't have open hearts, we won't have open homes. And it's, it's so fundamental to the outworking of our lives, our heart condition. Um, and, and almost that sense of just being grafted in, being grafted into the vine of Jesus in, in John 15, being close and connected into the family with, by opening our hearts to each other and connecting in. And then Pastor Sam was here last week. I want to recommend, if you weren't here last week, download it. It is an amazing message. So for those of you who weren't here, Pastor Sam came down from Joburg at great personal sacrifice. Um, he's working together with us as part of 412. He's one of our partners in 412. And he shared an amazing message about commitment. And uh, when he, when he kind of shared that message, it gave me a sense of that is where God wants to take us this week. He wants to take us to commitment and beyond commitment. Uh, and and the, the, the thing I sensed out of what he shared about last week is that you might walk away from last week saying, I'm committed. I go to stuff. I'm there. I'm present. And I felt like God saying, attendance is not commitment. Commitment is a heart condition. And attendance can flow from that. But just attendance on its own without the heart commitment is not enough. And uh, I joined the gym at the beginning of the year. Very exciting for me, very exciting for Ryan. 
Um, Ryan's my, yeah, can you see, can you see it? No, because the funny thing is I hardly ever go, <laughs> so you can't see it. But in going to gym, when I go there like once a month or every other month, um, I see three types of people there. They're people like me, the newbies, and I think now it's almost eight months later, so I'm not a newbie anymore in the gym, um, but the newbies who haven't been there long enough to see the effect of going to gym. Then you get the people who go regularly, but they don't do anything. Have you ever seen those guys? They're always in Kauai, or they're chatting to somebody who's running on the treadmill. Like, why do you chat to the guy running on the treadmill? It's a really bad idea. And then you get the guys that are there almost every other day. You can't stand next to them in front of the mirror because they take up the whole mirror. And you can see the fruit of commitment. And uh, that's what I'm calling us to. The fruit of commitment. Not just going, not just watching other people attend, but getting involved, committed to the family. And the only way we can do that is through the love of God. And something I was feeling during worship, and this doesn't happen for me often, but there are times when you're in worship and you're like, I hope this never ends. And then the second thought I always have is the poor preacher who prepared. <laughs> and then this morning I was like, oh, oh, let it never end. And now I was like, shame for me. <laughs> And then God said, no, no, I want you to share. Um, but that, just that sense of his yoke is easy. And this morning I might share something and it might feel a bit heavy. But I want to I say that it's coming from the Father and his yoke is easy. If there's a heaviness, as we were talking about during the worship time, just release it to God. And what I, what I wanted to go to is 1 Corinthians 13. So everybody talks about 1 Corinthians 13 and all that love is. I don't want to go there. Just before that, 1 Corinthians uh, verse 1 through 3. God talks about, or, or Paul talks about, all the things we can do. And if we do it without love, what that means. And so he says, we can speak all languages on earth and in heaven. We can have all knowledge of God's secrets. I mean, both of those things are ridiculous. Can you imagine meeting somebody who can speak all languages, who knows all the secrets of God, which is impossible? And he speaks about somebody who will give everything away. I'm going to give everything to the poor, and I'm going to go live on the streets. I'm going to give it all away. And then he says the most outrageous thing. You can do all of those things, but if you do it without love, it's worth nothing. You might as well not have done it. To God, it's worth nothing. Anything done without love, anything done without faith is worth nothing. And that's the easiness of the yoke. Because only through God is he calling us to be committed. He's not calling us to be committed in our own strength. He's calling us to be committed through him. And now I want to yeah, move on to the, the crux of the, and the key verse, which is in Luke 13, the key verse for today. Like I said, the question is, are you present or are you family? 
And I'm going to show you now in Scripture where Jesus says being present is not enough. And I saw this this week, and I got quite freaked out because it's quite weighty. But Jesus said it, so it's true. And he's talking about the end times when the second coming happens. Jesus comes back. We call to judgment day. We call to stand before the Father. He says, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, here he's talking about God the Father, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. And he's talking to the crowd of, of people who were listening all the time. And he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. I do not know you. Then you will begin to say, no, 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 no. But we ate and we drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is universally understood to be discussion of hell. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when you will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out. Busy day. <laughs> so if you go back to verse 26, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And as Pastor Sam said last week, now I'm saying a hard thing. I love that. I'm going to steal that. Now I'm saying a hard thing. Being present is not enough to be in the kingdom. There's more. There's commitment. There's open-heartedness. There's surrender and sacrifice to the King of Kings. That is the easy yoke that leads you into the kingdom. And I want to use an example this morning. And some of you may have heard this example before. And if you're in the prayer meeting... Uh, Dave tried his best to steal some of my notes. <laughs> but I want to talk about Abraham and Lot. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and I've asked this question. I shared a bit of this in, in some communities a couple of months ago. And the question I asked was, what do you guys know about Lot? And there's not a lot to know about Lot. <laughs> but there is, actually. And I want to talk about how you've got two guys at the same place, the same time, with the same God. One becomes the father of nations and literally the bloodline of the Savior of the world. And the other one disappears into the history books. And they were there together. And I want to call us this morning to learn the lesson that Lot didn't learn. And he had a chance, but he didn't. And I want to show you that being among the family like you are this morning doesn't make you part of the family or guarantee your future with the king. 
It's more than just being present. So you might be going to church like you are this morning. You might be going to a home group, a member who regularly goes to home group. You might call yourself a Christian. You might speak Christianese. You might own a Bible. And you may have the latest Hillsong album on your phone. But if you're not walking with God personally, you aren't part of the family. And the scripture I want to put up is Romans 9. And the scripture is often used for us as Gentiles. Most of us here are Gentiles. We're not Jewish. We often say, ah, you see, they didn't stick it out. And it says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who have descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And Isaac was the child of promise, and we are God's children of promise. That's what we have. And I want to say this morning that just because you come to church, doesn't make you saved. It's more than that. And so just as he had to, Paul had to explain to the Jews back then that just because you're Jewish doesn't get you into God's family. I say it again this morning to us. So a quick recap, Abraham and and Lot, or Abram in the beginning and Lot. So this is out of, if you want to go and read this, you can read this in your own time. I'm not going to put the scriptures up, but Genesis 11 through Genesis 13 And what you'll see there is Abraham was one of three brothers, and the older brother passed away. The father of Lot passed away. And so from a young age, Lot was adopted into Abraham's household. And they were close. I promise you they were close. With the dad, the granddad, Lot's granddad, Abraham, and Lot. And they lived in the house together, and Abraham had a lot of influence in his life. And then God came to Abraham and said, come with me, I'm going to take you away from your family, and I'm going to take you to a better place. And the only people who went with him from, other than his direct family, his wife and his kids, well, he didn't have kids, his wife, and his servants, sorry, and his animals, the only people who went with him were Lot and his dad. And they went. And while they were walking along, so Lot followed through, and Abram encountered God, built an altar and worshipped God, and had a very personal connection to God. And God started to give him the promises, or the promise. And Lot saw it all. He was there. He was watching. And then, as all good Old Testament examples do, Abraham went astray. And he went to Egypt, and guess who went with him? Lot. And while he was in Egypt, God blessed him, even though he wasn't where God wanted him to be. And I won't go there why that happened, but God blessed him with wealth. And in those days, that was animals and animals and animals. And guess who was there? Lot. And guess what Lot got? He got lots of animals too. Okay? So they were out in Egypt And then Abram said, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. I've got to go back. 
And again, Lot followed. So everywhere that Abram went, Lot followed. And he saw it all. He was part of it all. And so Abram returned to his first love in Genesis 13. And now things were about to get exciting. And in a sense, Lot was fulfilling the role of the heir. He was fulfilling the role of the next generation in that household. He wasn't the child of promise, don't get me wrong. But he was in there. He was knitted in. And then Lot thought, you know what? I've got stuff. I'm important. I'm successful. I'm amazing. And so one day, the herdsmen, as many will know, the herdsmen are having a fight. I want this grass. No, my animals must have this grass. And Lot's like, yeah, this isn't working out, uncle. And uh, Sean from Oxygen Life, those who know, he wrote an article towards the beginning of this year, much earlier this year, about the scene. He paints it so beautifully. I don't know if he wrote it or if he borrowed it from somewhere, but it's such a beautiful picture of they're standing, looking out over the, over the, the landscape. They're probably standing on a mountain somewhere. And Abram's the uncle. He could have been like, okay, awesome, that's mine. Good luck. Nephew, do whatever you want to do. But he doesn't. He goes like, what do you want? What would you like to have? And if I was Lot at that point in my life, I hope I would have said nothing. Here are my herds. Here are my people. I will follow you. But he didn't. He said, I'll take the green one. That looks good. It's close to the city. Can catch a few movies. Life will be good there. He had a moment to say, I am in agreement with you. I am in submission to you. And I will go wherever you go. But he didn't. He thought, my success is my success. But actually, his success was a byproduct of Abraham's devotion to God. And so Lot chooses the world over participating in the promise. He chooses the ease of the world as he thinks it's going to be. And if you remember from Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And so that's what he chooses. He chooses the cares of the world. And so that sounds quite hectic, like, but surely it doesn't end there, and it doesn't. So he leaves. Abram doesn't want him to go, but he leaves. And I know Abram doesn't want him to go, because after he leaves, he gets into trouble. And he gets caught up in a civil war or a war between the kings. And uh, he's on the losing side. And Abram comes in. This is quite hectic. And he goes and he takes out five kings and five armies. It's like he's like the... I don't know what you'd call him. He's like the United Nations of the local area. Like he's like, oh, maybe he's the American army. Or I don't know. But I mean, how does one guy who's not even a king, he's just a guy with a family and 
some animals and he goes and he takes out five kings. And then what does Lot say? Thank you, uncle. Bye. (laughs) Goes off again. And then a little bit later, God comes to his friend Abram and says, I'm going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah, but your nephew could. And so Abraham starts interceding. Please, if they're 50, if they're 45, he gets it all the way down to 10. And if, I, if you do the maths, I mean, this is a good number. I would have stopped at 10 too, because you've got Lot, you've got his wife, you've got his two daughters, you've got his two sons-in-law, that's already six. He's probably got at least four servants. If he's leading his household well, there will be 10 good people in the city. But there aren't. There's not even 10. I'm going to argue there wasn't even one. Because then, because of the love that God has for Abram, he goes and he goes and fetches Lot and his family. But the fruits of it, see what happens. Lot loses everything. He loses his possessions because he has to run out in the middle of the night. He loses all his wealth. He loses all his possessions. His sons-in-law think he's crazy, so they ignore him and reject him and his daughters. And like, you're on your own. His wife famously looks back, doesn't make it. And then his daughters do things that I can't speak on a mic on a Sunday morning. That's the legacy that Lot walks in because he chose his own success rather than aligning himself with what God had for his leader. And so again, I will ask this morning, are you falling into the trap that Lot fell into? of just being in the presence of God's people and assuming that you're there. And if you are, that's fine because God is gracious and God is open. And I was reading this morning in scripture that he calls out to us non-stop. He is always calling out to his children. He never stops. And he's always... There's this interesting thing I saw this morning in, I think it was in Isaiah, where we're always saying, I want to seek God's face. And God says in one of the scriptures, it might have been Isaiah, one of the Psalms, he says, whenever you do something against me, whenever you worship idols in the sacred garden, it's back in the Old Testament, it's in my face. Because the reality is God is always with us. He's always amongst us. He sees everything we do. He wants us to seek him, but he's graciously there waiting. I was reading one of the Narnia books last night with with Zach. And and Lucy does something, and suddenly Aslan, the lion that represents Jesus, appears next to her. And she says, oh, where did you come from? And he says, no, I've always been here. I'm always next to you. And she says, no, but I didn't see you. And and he said, yes, but what you just did now made me visible. Just because you can't see me doesn't mean I'm not here. And so God the Father is always with us, yearning to have us back. 
yearning us to have us in his family. And that is our choice to commit to him and his people. So if I can recap some of the things that Pastor Sam was talking about last week in terms of commitment, to be committed to God, to be committed to God's vision of church, why we do this thing that we do, to be committed to the visionary leader, which is Andrew, Sally first, and then Ryan, and then to be committed to fellow saints as a family, setting our priorities well of finances and time, committing our gifts, committing our resources, and submitting to the word, I like this part, and the rebuke of the leaders. Because when a leader rebukes you and corrects you, it's only because they're trying to bring you in line with God's word. It's nothing personal. It's not even about them. It's about you getting close to God. And that's what all these things are. It's about you getting into God's face and having fellowship with him. But the mistake we mustn't make is to think that this is a solo sport. To think that I can do this. Me and God, we've got this. I don't need the church. I don't need the leaders. But what you need to understand as you sit here this morning is that the blessing you walk in today is a result of being committed and submitted as a family to the leaders that God has put over us. And Andrew and Ryan and the rest of the eldership. You are not better off alone. The same way that Lot was not better off alone. Yes, he might not have been the child of promise, but he was not better off alone. So as I come into a land, I want to ask this very simple question. Are you living in the household of God? Are you rooted into the promise? And are you walking closely with the king? Or are you just hanging out amongst his people? Because that's what he wants for you. He wants you to be deeply committed into his people. And like I said, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And this morning I had this crazy thought. In John 17, where Jesus is talking to the Father, he says... I have who you've given me, and I didn't lose a single one of them, except for the one being Jesus. And the sudden thought came to me, he fed 5,000 men, plus women and children. He healed countless people all over. But when he's talking to the Father, and he's talking about who made it and didn't make it. He's not talking about all those people. He's not talking about the crowd. And I felt like God saying to me this morning, Jesus never considered the crowd to be his flock. When he said, wait for me in Jerusalem, I'll send the Holy Spirit. It wasn't to 10,000 people. To a hundred or so. Yet when he speaks to the Father, he says, I did not lose a single one of them. And that got me thinking that Jesus is very specific about who he's walking with. 
He wants to walk with us all. But he can only actively walk with those that agree to walk with him. Because how can two walk together unless they agree to meet? And he's on his side saying, here I am. And he's just waiting for the other hand. So if we can have uh, Bryce and the worship team up.